Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. The volume. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Graber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And Logan, basketball is back. We just had an awesome day one of NBA action. Saw some of the best teams in the NBA and specifically out west showdown. We're going to talk about both these games, but we'll start with Suns Warriors. This was a roller coaster of a game. Ended up being very tight at the end, but Phoenix did pull it out. What was your biggest takeaway from this, Logan? Uh, my biggest takeaway from this game was uh, I think I got it all wrong uh, between the Suns and the Warriors, Carson. I think I should have had the Suns above the Warriors as contenders uh, in my top 10. I, I still prefer the Warriors in a few areas, uh, primarily defense, but I really like Phoenix a lot, and I wasn't expecting to like them this much. The biggest thing about Phoenix is this offense is never going to stop coming. I mean, Devin Booker is flat out one of the best scorers on planet Earth, and I think might be the best offensive player on his team too, man. Uh, it might be a discussion that we need to have coming up. Now, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. KD oh, on yeah. his best day is immaculate. The pull-up shooting is unblockable, but D-Book is also unstoppable. And also I think we see in this game, man, his playmaking was unreal, dude. Down to that final pass that he makes uh, to Nurk on the roll. Uh, I like the Nurkic edition a lot more than I thought Carson. Uh, he's an awesome screener. He is a great rebounder. He's a good passer. He's high IQ. He's smarter, and he's much more physical than DeAndre Ayton. I think we saw him make plays that Ayton wouldn't make in this game. Mm-hmm. The physicality department, even down to the, the last play, the hard screen and roll. I don't know if Ayton's going up with that ball hard. I mean, Nurk is a legitimate difference maker that I didn't expect to like this much. And the biggest thing about Phoenix, Carson... My biggest takeaway, this is a brand new roster, right? And this is a game, too, without Bradley Beal, where the Suns' offense continued to roll. Uh, they, they hit that lull in the third quarter, but, I mean, that was their only lapse at all in this game when the Warriors made that comeback. The thing I like about the Suns the most is something that you pointed out, Carson, the top-end offensive creation with Bradley Beal, with Kevin Durant, with Devin Booker, with all of these guys, these superstar offensive talents, 
offense is going to come easy, right? Those guys just manufacture it. You give them a screen, you get it out the you get out the way. That's why I like them the most, or at least more to Golden State. I think offense is always going to be labored with Golden State because Curry has to go. Curry's got to drop 30 a night, it's, it seems like, for them to win games, at least until Draymond gets back. With Beal, KD, and Booker, Carson, they simplify everything for the role players and make their jobs so easy. It's a Kogi, I need you to go out there, defend your ass off, and make hustle mm-hmm. plays. Allen, I need you to make smart decisions, hit your open shots, and go make hustle plays. It's like all of the role guys don't have to worry about playing above their means. You know what I mean? They just have to do their jobs. I think Nurkic is the only one. And I'm not saying they don't need to play well. Obviously, these guys all need to play well, but their jobs are really simple. Make open shots, make good decisions, defend your ass off, and go and get the rebounds, make hustle plays. We'll do everything else. We will carry you offensively. We will feed you open looks. We will command attention from the defense. If you do your job, we're going to pull through and win their games. And I think that is a a real advantage. Phoenix's bench is... I like it a lot, man. I like Eubanks coming off the bench, man. I like uh, I like Eric Gordon. I know he has a bad shooting night, but he hits open looks. I like Grayson Allen. I loved Josh Akogi in this one. Watanabe. Uh, I like the Suns a lot more than I was expecting to, Carson. And the role players' jobs are really simple. Uh, that's something that the Golden State Warriors don't have as a luxury. You know, they need guys to play above their means. Mm-hmm. Phoenix's guys just need to do their jobs. Uh, I think Phoenix is above Golden State, and I like them a whole lot, Carson. You definitely felt the value of having two superstar creators mm-hmm. who you can turn to for stretches of these games. Even when KD's off, and KD basically disappears down the stretch, you have the luxury of then letting Devin Booker go to work, who I do think is the Suns' best player right now. Logan, mm-hmm. he was certainly their best player in the playoff run. He was certainly their best player today. And I think there's two reasons for that. Number one is that he is pressuring the rim at a higher level right now. And that is important for amplifying his playmaking opportunities in terms of drawing help from the defense. And it's also very valuable in terms of giving him a higher floor as a scorer. Opportunities around the rim are generally the most efficient in basketball, but they're also super important to breaking lulls. If you are relying on 15 of your 18 shots being pull-up jumpers, guess what? You're going to have off nights. And if you can't get to the rim, if you can't get to the line, then you don't have a way to break those dry spells. And as phenomenal as Kevin Durant is, I don't want to diminish his greatness. I still think he is Mm -hmm. easily a top eight player on the planet right now. We have seen him reach an absolute new low in terms of his ability to pressure the rim. Last year in the playoffs, under 7% of his shots came at the rim. And that led to a level of inconsistency offensively that you don't normally see from him. He's still Kevin Durant, but there were some real off nights in there. He was around 150th in the league in restricted area makes last year. So this is another one of those nights where he has one make in the restricted area. Devin Booker has five. It's not just that Book was the better pull-up shooter. It's not just that he had a really beautiful post turnaround against Steph and that he has such incredible versatility in terms of where he can kill you from on the floor. He was able to get to the rim more. The other advantage that he has over KD right now is the level that he is playmaking at. And we saw that in the playoff run where it's not just that he's dropping 33 a night on insane efficiency and putting on some of the most impressive pull-up shooting clinics I've ever seen. It was the playmaking. We've talked about it. Those pocket passes when he was facing those hard hedges against the Nuggets. Those skip passes to the corners. And what did we see tonight? When it comes down to icing the game, he was able to manufacture three great looks 
for his teammates, weaponizing the threat of his scoring, of his pull-up shooting. An awesome skip pass to Josh Okogie that he does not at all forecast. Okogie's not a dead-eye shooter, mm -hmm. but a wide-open look for him, pretty good. Then he draws the second defender coming out of pick and roll, kicks it back to Eric Gordon, open three for his teammate. And the last one I thought was the most beautiful. You get the re-screen with Nurk, and everybody and their mother is expecting Book to shoot that pull-up three because that's just his nature. You think he's an assassin, he's a scorer, he's the best player on the floor, he's going to be one to take that final shot. And he pulls a classic really Steve Nash move. He was the king of the jump pass. I got to make you think that I'm going to shoot until that last second so I can draw the utmost defensive attention and then boom, my teammates open. I create a great look for him. That is a sign of maturity. That is a sign of the playmaking development that we've seen from him and just a very beautiful demonstration of it on a national stage for everybody to see. When I had my book over Tatum take, Mm -hmm. So many people's reactions was, well, imagine only valuing scoring. It's not only scoring. It is the totality of their offensive production. It is the blend of a more versatile and complete scoring attack that makes him more reliable there with a different level of playmaking that he can reach. And that's not to say the book was perfect here. He's not a genius passer. He's not an infallible ball handler. There were times where he was a bit out of control as a driver. He has six turnovers in this game. A couple of those passes were off target. But when it came down to it, he had the right mentality of an all-around offensive superstar. Not a great scorer, a great creator. A guy who knows how to maximize his strengths for the sake of the team offense. That's a beautiful thing. That makes him a top eight player on the planet to me. And he is the driving factor in why the Suns offense mm -hmm. was able to survive. This wasn't the best game for the offense as a whole, but without Bradley Beal, when it came to crunch time, Devin Booker did what he does. Yeah, and it's not only that, Carson, it's the amount of attention that he commands in that final play, too. It's not only that, it's that there's a requisite level that you have to hit as a scorer for that to even be yeah. on the table, right? For most players like a Tatum, any other superstar that you point to in today's NBA that's perimeter-oriented, all of the attention is going to be on them. It all plays because you can be a great passer, but maybe that's not available to you because people don't respect you as a scorer. Book is so dominant as a pull-up jump shooter from everywhere on the floor, too, that that's the only play you have to make. If you drop, you're giving him a free wide-open look at the basket to one of the best pull-up jump shooters in basketball. It was the right play. Um, mm -hmm. You're exactly right, dude. And uh, you mentioned it, bro. This is not a great game from Phoenix. They have all these turnovers. They force 18 turnovers in this game for 22 points off. Carson Golden State's defense was absolutely swarming in this one. Uh, that was one of the things that I know this is a disappointing game for Golden State to come down to the wire to, to lose in this fashion at home. And uh, I will say, man, it felt like Steph was 1-3 away. I don't know if you remember it. I think it was in the third quarter. Steph is on that roll, and he's like 1-3 away where I thought the momentum was going to completely shift. Like the Chase Center was rocking, man. He hits two of them in a row. I thought they were one away from really stealing a ton of momentum down the home stretch in this game. But the one thing that I really was impressed with Golden State in this game was their point of attack defense, their perimeter defense, and just their aggression. They were super physical and aggressive with Kevin Durant all game long. They were jumping passing lanes. They were super aware. I really liked their personnel on the wings, man, with Kuminga, with Moody, with Wiggins. And, you know, while CP is not a good uh, on-ball defender, too, he's at least aware and knows where the ball is going to go. You see him intercept that pass late, and then they go in transition. I was really impressed with Golden State's defense tonight. And I loved the ball movement 
with the bench uh, with CP3 and Sarich in the game, there's an immediate chemistry you can see between those two. There's also just upgraded IQ. Again, uh, we talked about this in the preseason leading up. That was a luxury that Steph has never had. Even competent guys who know where to move the ball. CP3 and Sarich have that chemistry from their days in Phoenix, but just the ball movement was really good. Now, they didn't generate a ton of open looks, but the ball movement was a lot better, and it didn't stagnate like it's done in years previous without those guys. And I thought, overall, Chris Paul played a pretty good game. He's got 13 points and 8 assists in this game. You'd like for him to hit some more shots from the perimeter. He's very limited. Chris Paul is not what he once was. He's not a great scorer, but... I thought Chris might go scoreless this game, Carson. I thought heading into the second half, like, he might not get the lid off. The second half, he gets downhill and some mismatches a little more. He hits some some off-the-dribble looks, and he passed really well all game. But there are issues with Golden State, uh, primarily the severe lack of reliable offensive scoring around Steph. Carson, you talked about that, and I really thought that stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, if Golden State doesn't have... A number one to top five defense, I don't know if we can consider them legitimate contenders. That's the mark that they're going to have to hit. Like, they are just so reliant on Steph to create offense. Down to the last possessions. Kuminga misses two crucial free throws. Clay misses some big threes down the stretch. Steph's going to have to play Superman again for this team to be in real contention. And it's also because, again, they're undersized. There's a lack of athleticism here. I thought the Suns crushed them on the boards. If it was Eubanks, if it was Nurk, if it was a Kogi... They were just flying around, and you see some bad late turnovers come back to bite them. Six in the first three quarters of this game, five in the final frame. The Warriors are who we thought they were. I'm expecting them to be better on both ends of the floor with Draymond uh, coming back, but I, I am worried about the scoring and creation, man. Clay didn't look like he had a great game here tonight. He's just not shooting well. I don't know if you can expect anything out of him. Offense is just going to be hard to come by for the Warriors, man. And in a playoff scenario, I do think that matters. I underestimated that coming into the season. And maybe Golden State can still reach this really high defensive peak. But I think in a series against Denver, I think in a series against Phoenix, maybe even a, and if offense is going to come back to bite them specifically in those series. And in matchups against Denver and L.A., I think they get crushed on the boards. So definitively to me, I think they're probably number four out west and maybe... I could be on the verge of going lower if there's any other teams that are really impressive. I do have them number four in the West, and I think that you lay out a real limitation that we saw in this game, and it was the same thing that bit them in the playoffs last year, and that is the lack of high-end offensive skill around Steph Curry. CP3, I think, is very valuable as a steadying presence, especially with that Mm -hmm. second unit. Having a guy who can just run, pick, and roll and can make the right decision out of it, create some quality looks for his teammates. But bottom line, he is so, so reliant on his pull-up jump shooting. If it's those elbow looks that he loves so much in this game, he takes six threes. He is not the sort of guy who can create those looks around the rim. Clay obviously is not that sort of guy either he is very difficult on or very reliant on this difficult perimeter shot making that can be erratic and the entire team just struggled to score at the rim in this game you have a spot where Steph draws multiple defenders out of pick and roll Nurk is hedging hard so he hits Looney Looney can't finish at the rim he's a limited athlete he's undersized at the five Sarich, I love what he brings in terms of spacing in terms of IQ and passing he has the exact same problems the guards are not athletic they're not big so the entire team in the first half of this game was two of 11 inside of six feet and that's not against a good interior defense we saw the same things 
in the playoffs when they're playing those two big looks. Draymond and Looney can both struggle to finish at the rim and they're constricting your spacing a bit as total non-shooters. All of these factors come in together. I think they'll be a good offense because they have Steph Curry and he demands a level of attention that is almost unrivaled throughout NBA history and he is going to open up a lot of things for his teammates because of that. But they are just not the best suited to capitalize on all of those openings. So I thought both these teams were certainly flawed in this game. And of course, we don't see Bradley Beal or Draymond Green, so neither one is at full strength. But when you compare them to like how Denver looked, I mean, good God, is there a gap out West? Denver, man, they are something else. But I do want to give a couple shout-outs to Warriors who balled today, particularly Moses Moody. I just thought this was an awesome showing from him in terms of making those effort plays, busting his ass the entire game when he was out there, ends up with three steals, also knocking down his threes. It's always valuable when he can do that. But although I like what the Warriors did here, refining this rotation a bit, adding a guy like CP3 to fix the non-Steph minutes to some extent. I just don't feel like they solved their fundamental issue, and that came back to bite them again in this one. They couldn't rely on anybody other than Steph. Do you still think that's their biggest issue over being undersized and not super athletic? Well, I think those are their two biggest issues, and they didn't solve either one of them. Trace Jackson Davis doesn't play in this game. Also, weird rotation thing. I don't know why we even got Corey Joseph for four minutes. (laughs) Yeah, man. Book saw him and literally said, let me just bully you out of the post. Uh, Seeing Corey Joseph minutes for a team that wants to contend in the year of our Lord 2023 is uh, shocking. I would rather see Podzemski out there. I get that he's not the most pro-ready defender. I think he's already a better offensive player. And I think his IQ is beyond his years as a rookie. He fits in here offensively. And Trace Jackson Davis at least adds that dimension of athletic rim finishing, of rim protection that you don't get from either Looney or Saric. I want to see looks with both those guys out there, but I don't think they meaningfully change the dynamics for this team. Maybe it's slight improvement, but... When you're trying to match up with teams that are huge like Denver, that have effortless offensive creation like Denver, that not only have the best offensive player in the world, but also have much more reliable supporting pieces around him who complement his skill set perfectly. Elite spot-up shooters, an elite rim finisher, an elite pull-up shooter in Jamal Murray. I just don't think they can compete with that. They don't have that firepower right now. Any other takeaways for you from this game, Logan? Yeah, you know, I briefly mentioned it earlier about the Suns bench, uh, but I mean, this is a complete overhaul of a team in an offseason. And, you know, I talk about them simplifying the roles for these guys, and I think that's invaluable. Just, you said you said something on the show the other day, Carson, where you were talking about, you know, there's a ton of burden on these offensive players, and it's a lot to expect them to go out. And it was about the Suns, actually, to go out and exert themselves on the defensive end. And maybe with Bradley Beal, that changes. But I actually think that's on the flip. Like, don't get me wrong. Come playoff time, Book, KD, Beal, these guys are going to have to be engaged and locked in defensively. But I think there's a lot of guys that are, you know, are just good role players and will accept that that's what they're here to do. You know, it's a lot of unselfish guys that don't mind play, doing the small little things. And there are guys on NBA teams have to do that. And I think there's a lot of really unselfish low ego guys who are willing to play their asses off every night, not get a ton of touches, play defense, rebound, take open looks, and just do the little things, man. That was a concern for me with Phoenix. It it really isn't. I think they have done a tremendous job filling out this bench. You know, it's not the best bench in the world, but I think these guys really complement the Suns' superstars. 
I liked what we saw from their depth pieces, and I thought that they did a great job of building out this roster with very limited resources. Okogi was the star of the day, man. Just mm -hmm. effort plays and effort plays, giving it his all defensively, flying in for four offensive boards, weaponizing his athleticism on second chances as a cutter. Really, really good game from him. Yuta is just one of the best sharpshooters in the league, and he brings some length defensively. You saw him in a nice little floater in this game. Grayson Allen was awful, but so much of his value just comes from when he's knocking down his shots. That wasn't happening in this game. Eric Gordon, same thing. Shot was totally off. I do think he has a tendency to overexert himself. He really shouldn't be shooting 16 times in any basketball game for this team. But he does add that dimension of bully ball downhill as a driver. It's just sometimes he's a bit out of control and he can overexert himself. I also thought Eubanks was a really strong performer in this game on the glass, but also bringing that rim protection where he was underrated coming into this year. Really, really good in that respect last season. You saw it on that block against Kaminga, man. That is a big-time athlete going up against him. That is a perfectly timed block at the rim. That's some legit stuff. And I did like what Nurk brought on the glass and in terms of his short roll decision-making. So we'll see what this team looks like with Beal. I do think having even another creator of this caliber who can do even more to overcome an off night from Kevin Durant will take this offense up another level, but I still don't view it in that juggernaut tier with the Nuggets, for example. I think that is a more complete team that is better at manufacturing shots in the paint because of Nikola Jokic, and that is also better set up to have these explosive shooting performances from beyond the arc. So, that's the standard you have to hold them to because there are people who want to go out there and crown the Suns as the favorites out West. I just don't think they have a formula to match that level of a potent offense. And I think the Nuggets are the more established defensive team. I think that they play with great uh, discipline on that end of the floor. I think they're sharp in terms of their rotations. The Suns don't have great personnel there. It's okay. I don't still buy that they can reach a high enough defensive ceiling to overcome the offensive advantage that Denver has. So Phoenix to me is still sitting in that next tier in the West. I do slightly prefer them to the Warriors, but this was a fun game from both teams. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's talk about Nuggets Lakers, though, Logan. You had the Lakers as your title favorite. How do you feel about that after one game? 
Yeah, I was expecting to to make this take uh, after night one. The Nuggets are the best team in basketball until further notice, and I mean, that was my take before the season. I, I still believed that. I just think that with a full well, year of continuity. Who was number one in your power rankings? Oh, you mean right now? I think a full year of continuity uh, with the Lakers can lead to them leapfrogging them. But right now, yeah, the Nuggets are everybody's daddy in the NBA, bro. They're the NBA's father. They're the world champions, despite what some may say. Uh, they're the best team in basketball until further notice. They just have the most effortless offense of all time, and it's led out by the most effortless offensive player of all time in Nikola Jokic, 29-13-11 and 11 tonight on 12-22, of 3-5 of five from deep. And that's including a stretch, I believe, in the third quarter where he went, what was it, 0-7? of seven? I mean, Jokic just uncharacteristically missed a bunch of shots at the rim. Jamal Murray balls in this game, and that's one guy I want to give my flowers to. I know Murray has been awesome in every single playoff run. Everybody loves him. He's probably one of the most underrated players still in the league, though, in terms of the attention that he demands and how good of a playmaker he is. I really like those sets, Carson, at the top of the key, especially the ones they ran against L.A. in this game, where they give him two screens at the top and let him run that big man. The big man has to step up, and if not, it's an easy walk-in, pull-up three for Jamal. And if he doesn't, you're forcing that other perimeter defender to run all the way from one wing to the other wing to recover to Jamal Murray. Uh, he just takes so much attention offensively. I thought he had a really good playmaking game uh, in this one. 21, 2 of 6, 8 of 13, 3 of 5. And that's the big takeaway. With two guys like this, there's just such a massive gap between L.A. and Denver in half-court creation. And I really thought that's what killed L.A. in this one. A lot of possessions, especially early in this game, I thought L.A. dug themselves a really early hole. Bad, quick shots. The offense stagnating. It led to a lot of easy transition opportunities for the Nuggets that the Lakers had to battle back from. But those are their worst tendencies to me when they don't get anything going because there are offensive sets that I like. Um, there's this one possession, Carson, where Torian Prince is in the corner. They give it to A.D., AD runs over to the corner. He sets him a screen, little DHO action. Prince has a wide open uh, lane to the rim. It's like even doing one action like that or something like that every time, it's going to open up the flow of the offense. I thought too many times in this game it was, here, AD, here's the ball in the low block. Hey, D-Low, you know, go to work. LA is not a team that is built to go to work. LeBron at 38 is probably the only player that is built to go to work in isolation on this team. AD sometimes, like, He's too inconsistent. I'm talking about reliable offense. I just think the offense needs more rhythm, more design, more intricate plays to open up stuff for guys. And I'm hoping that will improve as the season goes along. So I think there's a massive gap in between these two teams in half-court creation. And I still thought the Nuggets could have played better. I mean, MPJ has a really bad shooting night, 2 of 9 from deep, 5 of 13 from the field. Shout out what he did on the glass, but he does not have a great shooting night. And... Uh, the Nuggets killed the Lakers on the glass. I don't care what the ending rebound total says. Denver dominated the glass in this game, and they also dominated the second chance points. Uh, I don't have that exact number here, but it was absurd. Denver was getting all kinds of second opportunities and countering on them. And I was really impressed with Denver's defense and hustle, too. That's the advantage that L.A. is going to have to find to beat teams in the playoffs. I think L.A. is a great transition team, Carson. I thought you saw that in this one. Uh, when they can get stops on that end and they can, you know, have it lead to easy offense on the other, that's where LA's at their best. They're going to have to reach an absurdly high peak defensively to compete with Denver. And the margin between these two defenses isn't that high right now. I was really impressed 
with everybody's effort defensively uh, from Denver. I like Peyton Watson. I like Christian Brown, what they brought to the table. I'm disappointed to be saying this after game one because I wanted to, you know, toot my horn a little bit. LA's going to the finals, get the people all riled up. I just can't right now. It seems like there's miles of gap between these two teams after game one uh, on both sides of the ball. I think there is a real gap here. And every reason that I was concerned about the Lakers, every reason that I couldn't buy into them to the extent that you did, even though I liked their offseason a lot. And I believe that they had a legitimate conference finals run and then improved from that status. Those concerns were on display tonight and those same issues remain to me. Number one, Anthony Davis's offensive inconsistency. He goes 0 of 6 in the second half, is 1 of 6 on shots outside the paint on the day, and just falls into these stretches where he's passive, where he's relying on his intermediate shot making, and it's just not falling. In a matchup against a guy like Jokic, he really can't do much in those one-on-one settings. AD doesn't have that bully ball instinct. He can't go through a 300-pound guy. He's used to just shooting over people on turnarounds and touch shots, and that doesn't work against Jokic. So he can basically just get shut down. And you cannot win a title with 22-point-per-game Anthony Davis like he was last year, where there are nights where he looks great, and then there are nights where he might as well be a non-factor offensively the stretches of disengagement, all of that is unacceptable. It's a red flag that was on display tonight. LeBron James, I thought, played a good game, but he is eventually going to have to exert himself fully. He is going to have to take a more significant role in this offense. That much is just apparent. The half-court offense can only climb so high without him being this dominant pick-and-roll force, consistently attacking the rim, turning that into playmaking opportunities. And I'm not saying that we have to see it on day one of the regular season. He played 29 minutes in this game. I think they're going to conserve his body. I don't expect to see that version of LeBron, if at all, until the playoffs. But... I do think that they need to eventually get that version of LeBron to win the title. They didn't have that in last year's playoff run. Yes, he was dealing with the foot thing, but it was far too hot and cold. It was far too much, hey, I'm just a spot-up shooter. Hey, I'm really just most effective in transition. And that led to him being a 24-point-per-game score on average efficiency. And that was a limiting factor. They need those two to rise to a level consistently of dominance that I'm just not sure either one of them is capable at this stage and then the other thing that killed them particularly in that Denver series was D'Lo not quite disappearing that would honestly be better still being out there on the floor for 20 something minutes a night but having his worst tendencies on display where he's killing the rhythm of the offense he's taking these tough pull-up jumpers out of isolation and pick and roll that happened again in this game he just had some boneheaded D'Lo plays he unfortunately was not Derek White as he said he wanted to be so All of those things are concerning. And then you look at how effortless things are for the Nuggets. How they can generate great shot after great shot, possession after possession. How complete their starting five is. Not just stacked with talent, but how complementary everybody's skill sets are. And it's like, am I really going to bet on LeBron and AD doing something at this point that they have not really given us reason to believe that they can do that would require them legitimately taking a leap when they just had a chance to do that in last year's playoffs and they didn't. 
should I buy into that more than the Nuggets just chugging along, doing what they're doing, what they made look easy, and what they did so much more consistently than anybody else throughout last year's playoff run? And that consistency is why they just mowed through the field? No way, man. No way. The Nuggets are lapping everybody else right now. And yeah, they do have a little bit more of a continuity advantage at this point, but they picked up right where they left off. I still think they are a big favorite in the West. And I only view like Milwaukee because they are so stacked with talent and because I love how they fix their biggest issue with Dame as a team that I could expect to beat them. Boston has the talent. I still think Denver has less exploitable flaws on this team. They're a juggernaut. They're fantastic. They are a juggernaut. And part of that, Carson, too, is uh, what they did on the glass. You know, I thought the Lakers' distinct size advantage might help them there uh, in this one, too. I don't know if they can really affect Nikola Jokic like that. Well, the Lakers have great size. They don't have a size advantage in this matchup, though. The Nuggets are huge. Exactly. And, I mean, MPJ, Gordon, Jokic, they all eat on the glass in this one, too. The most frustrating thing about the L.A. recipe for a title has to be Anthony Davis, though, Carson. And, I mean, you literally see it in this game. In the second quarter, I'm getting fired up, man. The Nuggets hop out to an 18-point lead. The Lakers show a lot of heart, a lot of resilience. They battle back. They don't put their heads down. And they start going to work on offense, and things start to click. Granted, this is without Jokic on the floor, but hey, you know, getting back against the Nuggets, you'll take whatever you can get. And AD goes to work. I think he had nine points in the second quarter. I mean, stuff started to fall for him. He was being more aggressive. And then you see it in the third quarter, and I don't think it's just a matchup thing like you said, Carson. I think Jokic is underrated as a defender because he's strong as an ox, man. He might be the strongest guy in the NBA, and... For a guy like Anthony Davis who lacks great touch, it's a really hard matchup because Jokic will just big body him and then he misses, and that's what's frustrating. Anthony Davis at this point in his career, I mean, does he have a reliable offensive move to go to? He doesn't have great touch. He doesn't really, you know, elevate super highly around the rim. His turnaround's unreliable. His jump shot uh, is still inconsistent. It's, you know, I mean, if have we seen Anthony Davis at his offensive apex? That's not a reality that... I want to consider, I want to hope that there's another ceiling that Anthony Davis can reach, or there's another consistent level that Anthony Davis can reach, but there's only so many games and so many stretches and so many patterns that I can take from Anthony Davis before I give up. It was a really, really disappointing game from Anthony Davis, and I think he's the primary reason that they fall in this one. His performance in the second half, it's not all on him. D'Angelo Russell has to play a better game and has to play better in the playoffs. Reeves has to play a better game, has to play better in the playoffs. But the primary reason that they lose this game is because of Anthony Davis doing what he does in the second half. It's supremely frustrating because I want to buy into the Lakers and I want to buy into the star power. But you're right, Carson. We haven't seen it since November to December of last year. And AD did just have a really good offensive regular season and he had some of his best touch shot making from that like 5 to 12 foot range, but you're right. When it comes to creating for himself against high-level defenders, against dudes with really good size and length, he just doesn't match up to elite scores around the league, and that is going to make him inconsistent. Opposite him, though, I want to shout out something that I think is often overlooked with the Denver Nuggets dominance and Nikola Jokic's dominance. People talk about how Jokic is the best passer in basketball and the best overall offensive player in basketball, But we don't talk enough about the fact that he is also the best scorer in basketball, point blank. And the reason for that 
is the consistency with which he can impose himself physically as one of the strongest players in basketball, get to his spots in the paint, and then make those hook shots, make those floaters with near 70% efficiency. That is so much more reliable than Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Steph Curry, all these guys who are reliant on their pull-up jump shooting. Jason Tatum, a guy like Giannis who is lacking in that real high-end half-court skill so he can be stifled by great one-on-one -on -one defenders if he can't physically overwhelm them. Joel Embiid being reliant on getting the free throw line, having a bit of an unreliable jump shot. Jokic is so reliable at getting to those spots and then he also has such a diverse way of uh, uh, such a diverse array of ways to kill you out of the post elite footwork elite use of fakes an elite turnaround so in single coverage he makes anthony davis who is still the best defender on the planet look like food every single time there is nothing you can do about that and that just puts him on a different level from these other guys who are going to ebb and flow more. Jokic is the dude who just went out there and scored 30 points per game in a playoff run on 63% true shooting, ate up everybody who was in front of him. And then on top of what he can do in those one-on-one -on -one situations out of the post specifically, he's a fantastic pick-and-pop shooter. If you close out, he can hit you with that pump and go and then get to the floaters. And all of this is made all the more lethal by the fact that he is the best passer on the planet. And that is the driving factor in why this offense is so unstoppable. You are picking your poison every time, and Jokic is the best passer and scorer in the league simultaneously. What the hell do you do with that? You can't do anything. And the Lakers' improvements on the margins, to me, just don't solve that unsolvable problem. But you have to shout out the dudes alongside him who balled out today. Aaron Gordon is so damn good, dude. And he is a nightmare for any wing physically he's just so overpowering such a good finisher around the rim but also his passing has come so far we saw it at spots in the playoff run last year he is zipping these passes in tight windows creating looks for others could have easily had seven maybe even more assists in this game that's real growth from him and then kcp just played an awesome game yeah he was shooting the lights out but defensively has some of the best hands in basketball so active on that end so high iq and that's the thing this is already a well-oiled machine this is a team that has everything in place that might as well have been made in a lab to win championships and i do think it is the best offense of this century outside of the kd steph warriors which was legitimately just an overpowered group but we saw that last year. They posted the highest offensive rating in a playoff run since the Showtime Lakers. It is so reliable across any action. Pick and roll. They have maybe the best duo in basketball. Definitely the best pick and roll duo in basketball. They have elite spot-up shooting. They're elite in transition. Jokic can run inverted pick and roll. They have the best post-up score in basketball. It's just unstoppable. They just keep coming. And we saw that again in this one. So... I didn't love what we saw from Denver's second unit. I think that they're going to have to find, first of all, who they want to allocate those minutes to. I was surprised that Julian Strother didn't play at all. I don't love Reggie Jackson having to play 24 minutes for this team. Peyton Watson, I think, is a really good athlete, but I think he still has got to figure some stuff out, refining his game in terms of skill and awareness and whatnot. I mean, they didn't get crushed or anything, but I didn't think they looked great in the non-Jokic bench minutes. 
we'll see where they go from here. But the bottom line is that starting five is top to bottom the best in basketball. And this was just a reminder of not just Jokic's status as the best player on the planet, but the totality of this starting unit, how dominant they are together. Any final takeaways from this game? Any little stuff that stood out to you? Yeah, I I do like the Lakers bench still. I think, I don't know, people will probably go way overboard on this one. I like Christian Wood. I like what we saw out of him in this one. Uh, I like his size, and again, he's not a five. I would play him in lineups, uh, you know, as the four alongside LeBron and AD, or I'd play him, you know, alongside another five. But I like Wood's spot-up ability, his shooting. He just brings another mismatch. And I thought, again, that was something that the Lakers didn't do enough of in this game. They're going to have to attack mismatches offensively like they did in the playoffs. You know, that one game where they went at Jamal Murray was setting screens and letting LeBron go to post-ups against him. I really think that's how they have to weaponize their offense by finding those mismatches. If it's KCP on one of these bigger guys, if it's Jamal on one of these bigger guys, I think they have to actively hunt those a little more because they do have a size and skill advantage with those guys, the Hachimuras, the Woods, the LeBrons, the ADs. Like, if you can set a couple screens and get those mismatches going, I think you'll see a little more success. I loved what we saw to Torian Prince. Six of eight in this game, four of six from deep. I thought he played pretty good defense, too. Um, not that he's a you know crazy game changer, but he's a really good role player, and I think he's a really good pickup for them. Again, he was uh, over 40% off the catch last season, one of the best spot-up players in basketball. Uh, and so I like those guys off the bench. I was underwhelmed by Hayes and Reddish, but I wasn't really expecting a whole lot of those guys. You were underwhelmed by Cam Reddish? I was overwhelmed. I didn't think he was going to do anything positive, and I thought he actually played with really good effort in this game, at least. I was Yeah, I was impressed with that in defense. It's not like he's a real needle yeah. mover for me still. I honestly no. didn't expect him to play any minutes in this game, too, so it surprised me to yeah. see him on the floor. Uh, and I think Gabe Vincent's going to find his footing. I thought he did a little too much heat stuff in this game where I was like, okay, buddy, you're not out there with, you know, Max Struess and Duncan Robinson. Cool your jets, bro. Stop shooting pull-up threes. But I think Gabe's going to find a rhythm and flow to, to his game as well. I still like the Lakers additions that they made, and I still like their bench. I just think it's going to take Darvin Ham getting a little deeper into his bag to really draw up and scheme stuff for them offensively. I think the Lakers desperately need an identity, a flow, a rhythm, and a goal on offense every night. Yeah, you can't rely on D'Lo as the captain of the offense if you want to go anywhere. And LeBron, man, he still demands so much attention. There was one possession where I can't even remember who it was, but he was just isolating somebody on the perimeter and the threat of the drive forces a defender to sink into that free throw line area. And then boom, it just creates an open three for a teammate. And he didn't even have to do anything, man. He just had to be there with the ball in his hands. So I don't expect to see it in the regular season. I do hope that we get to see a great, consistently assertive LeBron, but I just can't be too optimistic about that given the realities of last year's playoff run. I'm with you on some of the bench pieces. This was a really good game for Torian Prince, who of course started, but shooting the lights out, defending well. I like him as a pickup. Cam Reddish did play with good effort, defended well. Wood, I mean, he just went to work on Christian Brown a couple times. Having that offensive skill is valuable. I didn't think that he embarrassed himself defensively, as everybody claims that he's going to do every single night out there on the floor. I'd like to see him get some more minutes just for that injection of offensive skill. 
And it continues to just baffle me that Austin Reeves signed a four-year, $48 million deal, man. Not that this is the best game of his. There's a couple weird sort of foul-baiting moments where he doesn't finish around the rim. But just his ability to get to his spots. He played with really good hustle and effort in this game. Made an impact on the glass. Was diving into the stands. Good playmaking. Still does get to the line consistently. Just such a good all-around basketball player. And when I look at the extensions around the league... Jaden McDaniel signs for five years, $131 million. I'm good with it. That's a good basketball player. In this new market for a guy who's trending upwards with that 3 and D skill set, I think that that's a win for the team. That's a team-friendly contract. And then Austin Reeves is half of that value per year? That's just unbelievable. That is like one of the master strokes of Rob Palenka's tenure. And he's damn good. He should be in a higher volume offensive role always than D'Angelo Russell. So... Based on what we saw today, it's the Nuggets, it's everybody else, as I expected. We'll see if things really change for the Suns at full strength, the Warriors at full strength, the Lakers as they establish more of a rhythm. But you got to give respect to the kings of the league, Logan, the defending champs who came out and did their thing like they hadn't taken a day off, even though Jokic was out there riding horses the entire summer. All right, it is so much fun to have basketball back. And if you guys want more from us, and subscribe to the Volume YouTube page. You can get all of our shows there with video. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms. We are going to be back in a couple days after every team has played, giving some more thoughts on their opening games. It's NBA season. We love it. We're pumped about it. So stay tuned for all that. But of course, we're still doing NFL stuff. We'll be doing our normal reaction show after Sunday games. If you want more Nerd Sesh content, you can follow us across social, Instagram and TikTok at Nerd Sesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios just to talk basketball, football with us, be part of our community. And you can check out our merch at thevolume.com. We've got hats, we've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got the flags behind us. So you can find all of that also at our link tree or at thevolume.com. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.